And uh, this morning, we are in um, the midst of a series through the Gospel of John. We have just been going verse by verse through uh, this Gospel letter. And so this morning, I encourage you to grab your Bibles and open it to John chapter 8. This morning, we're going to be looking at verses 39 through 47. Um, If you did not bring a Bible, there uh, should be one uh, under your seat or around there somewhere. It's a hardback black one. Um, And if you turn to page 841, uh, that'll take you right to John chapter 8. Over the last few weeks, we have been in John chapter 8, and we have really observed a conversation between Jesus and the religious leaders and the people. And in last week's sermon, we looked at verses 31 through 38, and we were really almost hearing the opening arguments to a major debate. And some of you, if you were here last week, say that felt like the heart of the conflict, but uh, really this week is the height of of the issue. Uh, This is the heart of the conflict, of the offense. And so mostly the conflict has been by the way of the, the people and how they're talking to Jesus. But now we come to the part of the text where Jesus is saying confrontational things. Now, It's very important for us to remember, as I said last week, I really want us to understand, if our Jesus never says hard things, specifically to Christians, if our Jesus never says hard things, then our Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. See, these people have come to Jesus, and in the midst of conflict and confusion, confusion, some believed, we learned this from verse 30 in chapter 8. But what we also learned was that Jesus really exposed the true heart of their belief, that it wasn't genuine, it wasn't a deep and committed abiding belief in him. It was really a surface level and it was false. And so what Jesus has to say really offends this people and it causes quite an argument. See, Jesus didn't turn them away. He didn't say to go away from him unless they do something. Jesus made it clear to them that unless he does something, then their belief is not true. It is an empty display without a genuine conversion. And remember, Jesus called them slaves to sin. And he made clear back in verse 36 that if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so really the issue is that without Christ, without true and genuine faith in him, we are slaves to sin and in bondage to it. And so we need the son to do a work. We need the spirit to give us life and we need the father who draws genuinely. And so in this, they don't want to hear this. They're very emphatically rejecting Jesus and it becomes very, very clear, very quickly in the text, that they don't actually want Jesus, at least not in the way that he's instructing them. And so it becomes very clear who their master is and who their father is. And this is what Jesus exposes further in the text. And so what we're going to learn and seek to apply in our outline together is that who our spiritual father is reveals our love and desire to either believe or reject. And so if you're taking notes this morning, those are your fill in the blanks. Here we like to just hand that outline out right away so that you can fill that in and really see what we're going to get at in the heart of the text. 
And so we're going to read in John chapter 8, starting in verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of, of, of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to the text, God, it's so easy for us to uh, look at this text and examine what we disagree with, what is harsh about it, what is hard in hearing it. But God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. God, may we behold the beauty of Christ in the text. God, I pray that we would be a church that responds to the truth of your word. God, I pray that for those who are coming in and are here for the first time, they're here visiting, God, I pray that they would really examine the text, that God, we would really ask genuinely who our spiritual father is. So God, I thank you that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, I thank you that we can call you Father. I thank you that you are ascending and a saving God. So God, we, we celebrate that. Pray that we would be reminded of that this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So one of the things that we learn from the text, and I would say is even very uh, true in our culture today is that lineage is an, is an important topic for many. I mean, the first thing that pops into my mind is Ancestry.com, right? We, we think of this, and in fact, one of the things that many have noted is that if you know who your family is, then you have this sense of purpose and identity. In fact, the, the CEO of Ancestry.com says this is almost the goal and the focus of their service, she says it gives us purpose and helps us understand who we are and where we come from. And so for many, family is a big deal. Uh, quite possibly that's why you're here visiting today, because family is a big deal. You wanted to come and support your family and then sit through some other pastor's teaching. So buckle up. But listen, family for a lot of us are, is very important. I mean, in my own very Norwegian family, lineage and family history is a big deal. 
In fact, my grandfather on my mom's side was a Jensen. And in the commercial fishing world, that was an important name. And even today, when I meet people, when I go fishing uh, in their neighborhood, uh, I will tell people I'm Jens Olaf's grandson, and that means something. I mean, they tell me stories of my grandfather, and they speak of his accomplishments. And for me, just hearing that, there's almost this sense of pride. And so really understand where and, and who you come from matters. In many ways, it really defines who you are and what you value. And so here in the text, the same argument is presented. See, that family matters, but spiritual family is the issue in the text. See, if you remember, one of the things that Jesus had told them earlier was that he really did acknowledge that they were descendants of Abraham, but only in the physical sense not in the spiritual sense. And really, for Jesus to say this, this was highly offensive. See, in those days, to be a Jew and a descendant of Abraham meant that you automatically had eternal life coming. And really, this isn't true, but this is what they were taught. Many uh, uh, liberal rabbis even teach this still today, that they were taught that they were free on the basis of their ethnicity, And so the Jewish rabbis then even were teaching that day that basically you were saved already. And so their response, as we find in verse 39, is to debate the issue. They they answer him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. See, simply put, Abraham's children do what he did. In fact, this is true for all of us. We teach our kids to reflect us. Even when we don't understand, that's what we're doing. Our our actions communicate something. What we're faithful to, what we value, communicates something to our kids. But Jesus is challenging them because they are not like Abraham. They are not acting like him. They are not having faith like him. That's not their father. And so this is what we find in the following verses. In verse 40, Jesus said, But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. See, here Jesus is pointing out a very real inconsistency in their approach to him. That it's a different approach than the approach Abraham had. And you can almost imagine Jesus' argument here I mean, really, that what children do points to who their father is. And they did not look like their father, Abraham. And so what did Abraham do? Well, we know by going back to the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, specifically in chapter 18, we know that he welcomed divine guests. We know from Genesis chapter 15 that he had the spiritual sensitivity and humility to believe And it was counted to him as righteousness. And Abraham even so trusted God that he was willing to sacrifice his own son, which we find in Genesis 22. But see, fast forward to our text, and some of the people in the crowd have such little faith, they want to kill God's son. And so they are not showing themselves to be real children of Abraham. That's not the father they reflect But again, you have to put yourself in their shoes to really understand how offensive this would be. Because basically, 
they're the original chorus of the song, Father Abraham. I mean, they're singing this for centuries. This is their anthem. And so there they are singing, Father Abraham has many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. This is their song. And then the Lord Jesus shows up and he says, you are not sons and daughters of Abraham. You are slaves to sin and your father is the devil. It's a little offensive, right? See, unless he says, unless you come to me and believe on me, you will die in your sin. And so this is the offensive message that they receive from Jesus. But this is why Jesus continues in verse 41 and says to them, you are doing the works your father did. And what were the works they were doing? It's that they were rejecting the truth and seeking to kill Jesus. See, their intent to murder Jesus and reject the truth reveals they aren't doing what Abraham did, as we saw just a moment ago. Their works actually reveal who their true spiritual father is. And so understand, Jesus' point is very important. Our spiritual parentage is what determines our nature and our destiny. See, God is the creator of every single human being, but God is not the father of every human being. God is only the father of those who have been reconciled to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we are born again, we have God as our father. And it will show both in our nature and in our destiny. I mean, this is defined by faith, not family tradition or heritage. And I think even for some of us today, that that bumps up against a little bit of an uncomfortable truth. But simply put, as one commentator says, as one reformer says, carnal descent without faith is nothing more than a false pretense. And see, if our father is Satan spiritually, it will also show in our nature and destiny. See, just as it shows in these people who are opposed to Jesus. So we should very carefully observe this text and really, church, make an important note that there is no pursuit of holiness or fear or true reverence of God where Jesus is rejected. See, even their response to Jesus here in verse 41 exposes a very deep contradiction. Verse 41, they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. See, if you didn't know, this is really intended as an insult. Then when they bring up the origin of birth, they're actually insulting Jesus and they're really dodging what he is saying. And notice how we are now off the question of what we believe about Jesus. Really, they're treating Jesus poorly and they're insulting him and they're not really dealing with the question. And so understand a very important thing we must learn and take from the opposite response as the people have is that you don't condemn somebody just because you don't like what they say. You don't condemn somebody just because you disagree with them. This is so important for us to realize, especially in our social media age. I mean, honestly, we are so quick to jump in. We are so quick to make accusations and we don't press in with true questions and right judgment. In fact, we have a tendency to jump in with emotion, but without the truth. And so typically because of this, we aren't really addressing the issue. 
We've actually left the issue, and now we're simply attacking and demeaning the person. I've shared this concept with you that is very common in our day today. This is what is called ad hominem. Have you heard of this before? I mean, literally, that, that word in Latin means to the person, meaning even the type of argument we find here in the text is what is called ad hominem. It's an attack on an opponent's character rather than an answer to the argument made. And so really, they're attacking Jesus because conviction feels awful to sinners who are confronted with the truth. And so they'd rather reject than receive his words. Understand, these aren't just people who are going, we're not sure about this. These are people who are saying, we hear you, but we hate you. It's a very malicious response. And so here they aren't addressing Jesus's question in regards to parentage or spiritual state. They're condemning and questioning his own birth. And understand, this has been brought up many times in the Gospel of John. Previously, we saw this in verse 19 of chapter 8. And again, they insulted the parentage of Jesus. And so basically, in this verse, they're calling him an illegitimate child. And so the implication was, we were not born of fornication, but we're not sure about you, Jesus. See, we should also take note of how Jesus responds because he really gets at the heart of the issue. In verse 42, he addresses their claim that they had one father, even God. Jesus said to them in verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. See, there is one little simple word and challenge that is presented here. Jesus says, if. See, if that is true that God is your father, then you love Jesus. And if you do not love Jesus, God is not your father. Jesus made this abundantly clear about his work, that if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And if you love Jesus, then you will love God. And if you follow Jesus, then you will follow God through obedience. Because who your father is spiritually reveals both your love and your desires. I mean, look at the simple comparison that Jesus is making in the text. I mean, he's challenged, he challenged that they are not doing what Abraham did. We've seen that clearly. But Jesus is doing what his father does. This has been a constant claim of Jesus in what we have learned through the gospel of John, that Jesus makes clear, I am not doing what I want. I am not doing what I desire. I am not doing what I love. I am doing what my father sent me to do. And that is save sinners. And so we see this even in John chapter seven earlier in verse 28, Jesus said in the last half of that verse, I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. And so this is really the comparison that Jesus is presenting, that Jesus' love and desire is to do all that the Father calls him to do because he is a servant of the Father. But the people's love and desire is to do all that they please to do in their own freedom and in their own will. And so this is why Jesus called them slaves to sin, Earlier in verse 34, 
that they're really driven and motivated by what they want, by what they desire. But Jesus makes clear that he is driven by what pleases his father. And so this again proved that their claim to have believed in Jesus was merely an external belief. That as we saw last week, they professed faith, but they did not possess faith. And so this is an important detail for our application today, church. We must understand that the gospel's effect is that it changes our love and our desire. And if there is no change in a person who claims belief, there is simply no belief in them. See, this is precisely what Jesus addresses in verse 43 when he even asks and he answers his own question, saying, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. See, far from abiding in Christ, in Jesus' word, the religious leaders and the people could not even listen to it. And here before us is unshakable proof that they are not born again. They were still lost in their sins. Now, many theologians and pastors have labored this great point that has long been debated. And understand, some of you disagree with me on this. But as I even noted last week, because of the fall in Genesis 3, we did not lose our capacity of will. We still have a will, but we have lost the soundness of will. We did not choose freely the good and the bad. Because of sin, we are all fallen sinners without Christ. This is what is clear in Romans 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so really, without Christ, we only choose what is offensive to God. And our choices are not like his choices. And so fallen man does not come to the word of God. He has, in fact, no desire for the things of God on his own. By nature, the things of God are foreign to him. He doesn't want God in his thinking. He refuses to have anything to do with God. He has no desire on his own for the things of God. In fact, what we find in Genesis 6 is that by nature, his desires are only wicked continually. And so that's why God has to change the disposition of a person's heart before he will ever respond to the word of Christ. The Spirit has to set him free. And so understand, this is why the Holy Spirit is quoted in Hebrews chapter 3 saying, Today, if you hear his voice, if you hear his word, do not harden your hearts. So understand, what we find in Scripture is that a man is not saved against his will, but he is made willing by the operation of the Holy Spirit, by a mighty grace which he does not wish to resist. It enters into the person. It disarms them. It makes them a new, a new person, a new creation, and they are saved. And so this is why when we sang at the beginning of our service this morning in the song Made Alive, we celebrate. When it says, I once was dead in sin, alone and hopeless. A child of wrath I walked, condemned in darkness. But what brought new life? We sing, your mercy. Your mercy brought new life. And in your love and kindness, raised me up with Christ and made me 
righteous. This is simply what we have learned from the gospel of John again and again, that the father draws, the son secures, and the spirit gives life. See, this is in fact why Jesus told the crowds earlier in John chapter 6, verse 30, or 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And so friends, if today you are here and you do not know Jesus Christ, if he is not your savior and Lord, may I urge you, do not harden your hearts by the difficult things that you hear in the text. Do not turn away from the truth. If you hear his voice, then come to him. Because those who truly hear him are truly his. And those who are truly his truly embrace his word. See, understand, no one who genuinely desires God as their spiritual father is turned away. See, some may argue that a genuine confession is worthless to some. I would argue that a genuine confession of faith comes from the choosing of the Father, the securing of the Son, and the applying of life by the Spirit. So do you hear the voice of the Son in the text? Then come. See, this is, this is in fact why the people in the text aren't hearing Jesus. They are not truly his, and so they do not truly embrace his word. They, in fact, embrace the word and the character of their spiritual father, which is not God the Father. And so here in verse 44, very pointedly and very boldly, Jesus tells them, since they are not hearing and since they are not believing upon him, they are doing what their father does. And Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Upon reading this verse, it makes me wonder if some of you are leaning to your spouses saying, we should have picked a different Sunday to visit. <laughs> this is a heavy text. There's so much in here. But simply, Jesus makes clear the fruit of your life reveals who your spiritual father is. The character in your claim reveals whom you serve. And so with the people, with the people before Jesus, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. See here, Jesus gives us some very clear insight into the character of Satan that his lies are even core to his character. And he is a dangerous deceiver because he deceives not only himself, but he also deceives others. Now, in that, I think many will try to take this verse and just blame it all on the devil. They'll just kind of put Satan and demons behind every little bush and behind every little issue in their life. But understand, we do not easily escape from our responsibility. But it is true that when Satan always seeks, what he is always seeking to do is to get our mind off the truth. He hates the truth, and he wants everyone else to hate it as well. And so this has been his aim from the very beginning of the human race. I mean, consider the garden. 
if we go back to Genesis chapter 3. The first two chapters of the book of Genesis outline how God creates and it is good. And the only thing that's not good is that man is alone, and so he gives man a helper, and there it is good. What God does, it is good. And we get to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and here rolls in the serpent. And the very first attack by Satan is against God's word. It is against the truth. And the serpent says, did God actually say? So listen, what the serpent is getting the children of God's minds off of is the truth. And he's not asking genuine questions. It's a line of questioning with the intent to discredit the word of God. Now fast forward to our text. Does that sound familiar? See, what the people in the text are doing is they are questioning Jesus' word. Did God really say that? And they reject that. But even in the midst of that, Jesus has a clear focus on the heart of the issue, which is the issue of the heart. That Jesus said, unless we believe that he is the Christ, we will die in our sin. He says this in verse 24. In verse 34, Jesus said that without him, we are slaves to sin. But he also said in verse 36, if we believe and trust in him, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. See, he is telling them the truth faithfully again and again, but they are rejecting him and his word because ultimately they are displaying their true father's character. And so really, church, just as the people in the text are confronted, we are confronted with this truth that there are only two responses, only two. And that is either to believe or to reject. See, the response in the text is that they reject Jesus. And not in some way of saying that doesn't work for me, but absolutely in a dramatic way, they reject Jesus. They demonize Jesus. They hate Jesus. And so this is why Jesus said in verse 45, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. See, the reality is that the truth offends many. And even it causes some to hate Jesus. And so I understand that is, that is obviously true. When Jesus presents the truth, it's going to offend people. People are going to hate him. But at the same time, I think many have really claimed to speak the truth for Jesus who are just simply jerks. I mean, they run their mouths with no wisdom at all and simply seek to stir up, stir up confrontation without wisdom. They, they get on this soapbox because they think they're right, all while lacking righteousness. And so understand, that is not what Jesus is doing in the text. The truth may be offensive, but he seeks to add no offense to it. Church, that is a terrible thing if you add offense to the word. The truth of the word, the truth of Jesus' mouth, yes, will be offensive to some, but you need not to add to it. And if you do, you are not doing the work of Jesus. Understand, the truth is difficult, but the truth is truth. See, many do not want to hear what Jesus is saying. 
In fact, many want to have an all-inclusive message to the world that just all roads lead to God. But see, Jesus is telling them the truth. He's not adding offense to anything. He is just telling them the clear truth that unless we believe that he is the Christ, the Savior, we will die in our sin. See, this kind of teaching comes like a freight train against the basic belief of American culture. I mean, we're told that God has many faces and that we can choose to believe in in Muhammad and Buddha and Confucius or anything else as well as Jesus. All those roads are going to eventually lead to God. In fact, we're told that it doesn't matter really what we believe just as long as we're sincere. But that is not the case according to Jesus. That is not the case according to the Bible. Because if we reject Christ, we reject the Father. We cannot have the Father and not the Son. We cannot have the Son and not have the Father because the Father sent the Son. Jesus made it clear in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so listen, I want you to understand Jesus did not come to shine up sinners. He is not interested in stapling fresh apples to dead trees. He has come to set us free. And it starts with knowing that apart from him, apart from a real relationship with him, apart from being real disciples of Jesus Christ, you and I are in bondage to sin. That's the reality that Jesus is presenting to this people. And so notice what Jesus is doing in verse 45. Notice what he is doing in this whole text. He is saying, listen, you must hear what I am telling you. You must sort this out. You must do business with God about your own soul and your heart. Because if you're not hearing the truth, then the truth is not in you. You reject it And so you do not believe. But still, and you can almost imagine this there, Jesus looks them square in the eyes and he's telling them, I am telling you the truth about the state of your heart. I am telling you the truth about your distance from God the Father, about your slavery to sin, about your need for a savior and your own self-centeredness. So make no mistake, Jesus is telling them the absolute truth. And that is, in fact, why they will not believe in him. Because they would rather believe the comfortable lie than come face to face with the uncomfortable truth. I mean, really, church, I think sometimes the lies are not the thing that are hardest to believe, it's the truth. And so even further, Jesus makes the point of how true he is. And he does this even by challenging the people. Because really, if Jesus is not true, then they can call him out on his error. They can show his lie. They can can catch him in his sin. And so Jesus says in verse 46, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? See, even today, many may throw accusations and are even irreverent toward Jesus 
but no one can convict him of sin because he is the perfect and true sinless son. And what he says is true. What he says is true. And when the truth is presented, we are confronted with what to do. Every single one of us today, as the word is read and presented, every single one of us is confronted with what to do with the truth. But like I said earlier, what we find from the response in the text is that they reject Jesus. And so even though he tells them the truth, why do they not believe in him? Why? See, Jesus again makes it absolutely clear in our final verse, verse 47. He says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. See, simply put, sin paralyzes us. Only an act of God's grace enables a sinner to hear his voice. See, genuine faith comes first by God's grace, giving us ears to hear the words of God through Jesus. So there is nothing we do physically or academically to initiate the hearing. We are spiritually deaf and God gives us the hearing. And so, brothers and sisters, we should celebrate together, despite our differences, that by God's grace, we have heard the words of God. And so let me say again to those of you who are here this morning, who are hearing the words of Christ, if the text of Scripture is alive to you and it is grabbing you by your very soul, then today do not harden your heart. If you hear his voice, then come to him. Because those who are truly his hear him. Those who are truly his embrace his word. And so let me encourage you, look upon Christ. He alone saves and he alone is true. And so friends, have your assurance in this today that if you hear his voice in the word, if you are doing the things that your father in heaven does, then by grace through faith, you are an adopted child of God. If you have confessed, if you have truly repented and believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved and you are secure. This is why Jesus says in verse 31, if you abide... And not just one little uh, moment of abiding, but if you abide actively and constantly in his word, you are truly his disciples. And so understand, dear friends, the fruit of your life will reveal this. Who your spiritual father is reveals this. And your response to the truth and your application of the gospel will reveal this. And so understand, even at the beginning of John's letter, of his gospel letter in verses 12 and 13, John makes this clear. He says, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So this morning, 
as we leave here and we go on to the next thing and we celebrate these dedications with our family and our friends together, consider this question. Who is your spiritual father? See, understand those who are of God, they listen and they believe even when it hurts, even when the truth cuts them right to the heart. And so do you hear the word today? Then come, repent and believe upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is the truth of scripture. Those are the words of Jesus' own mouth. And so, dear friends, are you without a savior? Well, we've seen again and again from the gospel of John, we have a great savior for our need. So come to him. Repent and believe upon him. Let's pray.